0: Hello everyone. Welcome to the latest episode of the You Should Run podcast. This is Tony Heil, council member in Bridgeport, Pennsylvania. And uh, if you've known the podcast, you've heard me talk with people from across the country, different levels of government, etc, etc, etc. Today, I'm really, um, I'm going back to talk about this year's elections in a unique way with my friend Tom Kohler. He is our area leader in Montgomery County for our area. He's waving, even though it's an audio podcast. And we're going to talk about redistricting and what that means, because I think most people don't really understand what a district is, why it's different, how the process is run. Not only do most people in the country not know it, But people in Pennsylvania doing it this year don't understand it because everything's changed. And it probably has a dynamic that's going to affect not just Pennsylvania, not just our little areas of Montgomery County and King of Prussia and Bridgeport, but possibly the country. So um, I'm interested in hearing Tom's assessment because he has many years of political experience, and he is on the front lines of this in many ways. So, Tom, welcome to the podcast. Good to talk to you again.
1: Thanks for having me, Tony. Yeah, it's uh, always good to be back on uh, You Should Run.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So, um, I wanted to bring you on because you, I was thinking about the, this is petition time. And to start with, we're actually in the second part of petitions, right?
1: Yeah, it, it, it's phase two petition boogaloo is what it is. Uh, it's a little crazy.
0: And you've been involved with campaigns for quite some time. So this is probably, this might be the first time it's been like this we have to do petitions twice, right?
1: Actually, no. Fun fact uh, in 2018, when the Pennsylvania State Supreme Court threw out the last congressional map that was drawn in 2011 uh, because of its partisan gerrymander, uh, court challenges. So the congressional candidates had a separate petition period from all of the other offices in 2018. So you had governor, lieutenant governor, um, uh, state rep, state senate, uh, and all those races were done on the normal time frame, and then Congress was separated out. So we had a similar situation just this time. Sure that was later than everybody else.
0: And so because it's a petition time and we're going to get into redistricting what that means. So people don't know what are the, what do you need to do to get on the ballot for just a general, any kind of election in Pennsylvania? Cause it's basically the same, no matter what, just different levels.
1: Correct. So in Pennsylvania, every candidate, regardless of you're running for, um, uh, Township Auditor, Borough Council, all the way up to President of the United States. Every candidate in Pennsylvania must get on the ballot by circulating a nominating petition, which is um, done in a partisan primary, so Democrats circulate dem- primaries to dem- uh, petitions to Democratic Voters, Republican candidates circulate their petitions to Republican voters. Uh, nonpartisan independents and other parties are not involved in this process, it's just for the Democratic and Republican primaries. There is a set number of signatures you must gain, and the signatures must be, quote, good, as in they have to live where they're, they have to sign the petition as if where, where they're registered. They have to be a resident of that voting district. So if it's for presidents, anywhere in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. If it's for borough council, like you, Tony, in Ward 3, you have to live in your ward. Um, and you have to get a predetermined number of signatures. So uh, this year, uh, state representatives have to get 300 signatures. State senators have to get 500. Uh, lieutenant governors have to get 1,000. Governors have to get 2,000. And U.S. Senate have to get 2,000. The governor and lieutenant governor have extra layer of rules they have to get a certain number of signatures from a certain number of counties. They actually have to get, you can't just go all into Philadelphia and get 2000 signatures and call it that you have to actually show you have support in other parts of the state. So, um, that's another requirement. There's other legal affidavits and so forth. Um, but all those petitions have to be filed and usually it's a 21 day window from around president's day till the first week of March. Um, it was a shorter window because of some court challenges for the congressional maps, which we'll get to in a minute. And then it was an even shorter time now, state house and state senate. We normally have 21 days. This time we have 10. So it's a very, very, very small window. So that's, yes, that's why I've been out all day uh, after work gathering signatures.
0: Right. And we have an event this Sunday to do that in our town, yep. weekend, postcards, getting... Everyone kind of knew this was happening. The other thing people knew was happening is redistricting. And every state does this redistricting where uh, with the census, you got to make new districts for both state legislature and Congress. So what's been going on with redistricting process in Pennsylvania?
1: So I'll talk about the congressional yes. first, if that's okay. Cause that's the one that probably most people are familiar with and most people um, are, are, are aware of. And it's also the easiest one to explain. So in Pennsylvania and every, every state's different, but in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, what uh, is necessary is um, it's, a, it's strictly a legislative process. So the state house and the state senate and the governor's office. When you pass a bill into law, it passes the house, it passes the senate, it passes, the governor signs, it becomes law. That's exactly how the congressional redistricting is done. Someone introduces a bill. It's a you know House Bill nine four two or whatever, and it's the new maps for the next decade, and it specifically just spells out. Congressional District One will consist of, and it lists every precinct or every census tract or whatever it is they decide. So, the legislature basically gets together and draws the map. In twenty in two thousand one, and again in twenty eleven, the House, the Senate, and the governor's mansion were all controlled by the Republican Party. So you can needless to say, they got a pretty favorable map both times. Um, in two thousand eighteen, the Democratic led Pennsylvania Supreme Court throughout that map. We got a fair map in 2018, and this time, with Governor Wolf, who's a Democrat, and the Republican legislature, there was a stalemate. So no bill ever got through. It got to the governor's desk, he vetoed it, and it ended up going to the courts. And the Supreme Court uh, accepted maps from various people, and then they picked one and said, that's the map, and that's the end of it. And that's how we got our congressional map. And it's not perfect. Uh, It's certainly not uh, ideal for... Our community, Tony, is as we are kind of spliced off from our neighbors into a new congressional district, but it is a map, and it's it's set, and it's done, and we move forward with that.
0: So the thing about the what making these maps is like you and I know kind of what that means, right? Like that when you have the trifecta, as they would call it, the state legislature uh, and the governor, and they can all agree on what they want – They'll make either a Republican map or, you know, we might want a Democratic map, whatever that means. How, to to a regular person, just like, oh, you just, if you know you need 10,000 people per district, you just clump 10,000, 10,000, like make it all together. So how, what is the science around making a partisan map? So, well,
1: so there's, there's certain caveats in the the state constitution to, um, that allow that or specify what, what it's supposed to go into a district. First and foremost, they're supposed to be uh, – the term communities of interest is one that is, is used. Mm-hmm. Um, so you don't want to – you're not going to have, uh, uh, let's say, West Philadelphia and suburban Reading, Berks County in the same district. They're not exactly communities of interest. They're not
0: – They're far away from each other. Connected. Right.
1: Right. And, and they have very d- different values, different, different uh, issues that they're dealing with. Um, so that's one issue. Um, compactness is another one uh, and and limiting the splits of municipalities Uh, for example upper Marion Township is now split into two congressional districts albeit only a couple precincts not together Um, but they also are supposed to be identical in size Um, in Pennsylvania we actually lost a congressional district for I think like the like 10th census in a row Uh, (laughs) we've gone down one at a time for since the since the 1920s Um, so we're down to now 17 congressional districts so when you lose a district, that means everybody's district has to get bigger. So that often, uh, that was a a, a, a a troubling factor. And another thing, people some see some of the districts that get drawn around the country, and they look like Rorschach tests, or they look like ink blots, or uh, you know, whatever you know, uh, goofy kicking Donald Duck, or whatever analogy you come up with. And a lot of the times, we don't realize if you're not from that particular area, you don't necessarily realize. A lot of that is uh, natural geographic boundaries. There might be a river that goes through and it; it really winds, that looks really squiggly, um, or precincts in a in municipality that have not been redrawn in a hundred years, and they're just very oddly shaped. And you take. This one and this one and this one, and put it in this district. It looks like this weird thing sticking out um, of the side, and it looks awkward. Um, in some parts of Pennsylvania, there are municipalities that are cut off from the rest of the municipality. Upper Darby comes to mind. There's four different pockets of Upper Darby in Del- Delaware County that are not connected. They're all part of the same town, but they're not connected. So um, those things factor in. It's a lot of weird things that go into it, and it's it's a lot of math and a lot of social science and a lot of. There's also building districts that are. Um, minority majority, so that to try to encourage more Hispanic or African American or other minority groups to have representation. All those things have to go into it, and it's it's it, it's not an exact science, but it is a science. It does require a lot of um, maneuvering and playing and, and, and throwing it out and starting over again. It's, it's a, it's, it is a lot of, uh, of, of maneuvering in that regard.
0: But the real science, <clears throat> at least lately, I don't know if this has always been the case with... Um, gerrymandering or redistricting is that you know the republicans have the legislature twice they had a trifecta so they would say okay um you know used to be oh this big pocket of of chester county it's mostly republican voters so we'll take a little bit of democratic voters from all these places dilute the democratic and how do you figure that out not you but like what is the process for figuring out how to maximize your electoral prospects
1: so yeah so it, it, it's a, it's gotten a lot easier now in the last 20 years 25 years um the data that is just available to campaigns to political parties to elected officials is just off the charts no pun intended i mean it, but it's 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 just insane the amount of data that you can gather on the wave uh, on voters um ticket splitting in pennsylvania used to be a, a uh, a, a rite of passage. Everybody would go and vote. And, um, you know, I used to joke in the in the late aughts, we had you know the most liberal Republican and the most conservative Democratic senator, and they were both from Pennsylvania. You know, in Bob Casey and Arlen Specter. You could argue maybe not the most on either right, side, right. but certainly you would have thought they would be the other way on the other parties. Um, you know, on from if you weren't from Pennsylvania. Um, so. I think uh, the data that has you know now as, as people have become more and more partisan and more and more ingrained, you can look at voters and say, well, these voters have, they vote in every single election and they're overwhelmingly Democrat. This 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 town or this precinct is just very 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 democratic, and this one's very very Republican. Well, we'll lump this one in with this one and dilute the Democratic one, and the Republican voters um, will we'll have an advantage when you connect it with other precincts. Uh, the, the sixth congressional district back in the aughts from 2000 to 2010 is a perfect example. You had Lower Marion Township, which is just on the, uh, the wealthy enclave just outside of, uh, of Philadelphia, um, was in the sixth congressional district. It wrapped through Town, which is the county seat, around Upper Marion and Bridgeport, where we are, and went all the way out to Reading, and it mm-hmm. was mostly Chester County. And that was to take the Democrats in Montgomery County and the Democrats in Berks County and put them with the Republicans in Chester County. District and it, and it worked for ten full years.
0: Yeah, and it had one precinct in Lehigh County, Upper Macungie Three, because I worked on those campaigns. So I, I was going to say
1: you have a lot of intimate knowledge on 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 those campaigns. So so what happened in the two thousands? Um, some of those districts, not that one, unfortunately, but uh, the uh, Bucks County congressional district at the time and the Delaware County district, they did switch to D because the demographics were changing. The uh, voters were getting younger. Folks were moving from out of the city, mm-hmm. and overall, the, the suburbs were trending bluer. So, the Democrats overcame that gerrymander in the 2000s. So, when 2011 rolled around, they doubled down and went hard on on the gerrymander, and there was nothing to stop them because at the time, they also had the uh, control of the Supreme Court. So, when you took a court challenge to them, it, w- it would be very hard to get a a a, a, uh, a that map thrown out.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, once the Supreme Court flipped and became democratic, and people brought court challenges in the later part of the last decade, that's when we saw the maps be uh, upended and totally renumbered and totally redrawn um, to make districts fairer. And, and it was fair. I mean, we up until this, this redistricting now, we had nine Republicans and nine Democrats.
0: And what –
1: Pennsylvania. It's pretty
0: fair. Yeah, so what makes something fair is also what's possible in a state and – kind of the breakdown of the vote. So in Pennsylvania, the last few elections, um, last two, it's been a big, basically 50-50 split between the Democrat and Republican running for president, which is how people kind of determine the partisanship, right? Like, and even for the other statewide races, like every statewide race was very, very close. So yes. now with these new maps, we are, it looks like it could be almost 50-50 for Congress, it can't be because there's an odd number, but close to it in terms of who you would expect to hold those seats.
1: Yeah. It's you know, a nine, eight or a ten seven is, is highly likely one way or the other. I think this time it was, it, there's a couple seats that are, that can go either way. Right. Um, and, and might go one way now, but by the end of the decade might look a little different um, because population's always shifting. You know, this is a 10 year window, but um, a lot can change in 10 years in terms of where people live.
0: And because good no and people talk about like what's fair but so you and i would say oh pennsylvania's 50 50 in terms of partisanship right now so it makes sense for half the seats to go to one party and half to another on the average um but that means that like the way that the seats are drawn are where you don't expect you might not expect a ton of competitiveness in those seats right like right the uh, unfortunately scott perry has a very good chance to win Fortunately, Mary Gay Scanlon has a very good chance to win. Um, But so is it better to have seats that are not competitive that match the state partisanship or to because what's the point in campaigning for general election votes if everyone gets districts that kind of fit the state thing?
1: Well, I think in an ideal world, we would all want 17 districts that have equal chance or at least uh, a fair chance at winning the fact of the matter is, over the last twenty years, uh, you know the the you know the more rural or, or ex urban areas of southwestern and northeastern Pennsylvania that have long been Democratic, you know, union coal households and, and oil drilling households have trended heavily Republican, whereas the suburbs of around Philadelphia, which were always heavily Republican in the eighties and nineties, are now. As blue as well, maybe not as blue as Philadelphia, but pretty close. I mm-hmm. mean, they're, they're they're pretty solidly blue. So now the G, the the divide among parties is is more geographic than ever before. So you have a situation where um, you know it's really really blue in the southeast, and then obviously in places like Pittsburgh and 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 parts of the Lehigh Valley, and the city of Harrisburg, and the and the city of Erie, and the city of Scranton. But then you get right outside of it, and it's bright red. And you're talking a situation where how do you draw a fair district? You have to, you would have to really get creative to draw districts. When I shouldn't say fair. I mean, drawing a, a district that's competitive would be extremely difficult without having to have all sorts of communities that aren't connected right. um, together. So, so it, it's inevitable at this point that we're we're going to have uh, you know six or seven Democratic seats and six or seven Republican seats that. Under no circumstances is is the other party going to have a shot to win it. But and then maybe three or four that are, are, are uh, up for grabs in the middle. Um, that that might start out blue and go red. That might start out red and go blue. That might be purple throughout the decade, and they could always be a challenge. Um, and, and and as as demographics change and certain cities grow, South Central Pennsylvania, you know, the Harrisburg, Lancaster, York kind of triangle there is. is is A fast-growing part of the state, and eventually is going to probably start to get a little more purple than than it has been, um, and and that's something that uh, the next couple cycles you'll start to see some seats out there become competitive. Uh, one in particular, hopefully, very soon. But uh, uh, you know, one you already mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, I, I think uh, it, it, in a perfect world, we would get a fair uh, a chance where anybody could win. But in reality, just the way of geography, it's it's not really feasible in in these current times.
0: <clears throat> so, but we say in a perfect world, like like the West Wingification of politics. But like in reality, like if we were in charge, like if it was like, all right, Tony, you and you and Cole are you're going to make the districts. We would want Democrats to not because like we like the blue shirts or you like the signs, but because we value these things and. Right. If we don't win, we're going the people we think will be seriously harmed by the policies of their party.
1: Yeah, I mean, we're talking about Pennsylvania, and Pennsylvania Republicans have dominated all facets of redistricting for three decades. Yeah. So uh, this is the first time we've really had a, a seat at the table per se, uh, or at least a, a veto pen at the table. Um, you know, uh, but but yes, other states. Just to, I mean, look at our south, the state of Maryland, or look to the north, the state of New York overwhelmingly democratic states overwhelmingly democratic gerrymanders is that right um not from a, vo- a small d democracy standpoint no um is it uh inevitable when one party is, is has all of that yes it's inevitable it's wrong i think personally but yeah if i were allowed to draw the map i would of course draw us a heavily democratic map that's why it's a good thing i'm not in charge of that uh to be you know to to, to do right by it by the residents um I think ultimately, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's just part of politics in the 21st century that, that uh, you know, Democratic states were doing it to offset the Republican states that were also doing it. Um, you know, this comes back to the old age argument. Oh, well, both parties are the same. Both parties do it. Yeah, but one has been significantly more egregious about it in the last 20 years than the other. And really, we're, we're almost playing catch up in the Democratic Party and other states uh, trying to combat uh, uh, states like Texas and Florida that grow and continue to add seats. Um, and they're going to continue to draw them in a partisan manner that benefits the Republican Party. So blue states are trying to fight back by doing the same thing to try to keep Congress as a whole uh, more in play.
0: But like, and I hear you, what you're saying, and a lot of people say it's wrong to draw lines that way. And yeah, partisanship, I think, has a lot of problems. I'm watching the Supreme Court nominations, and you have an eminently qualified justice, per, judge up for justice who, just by a resume, should be confirmed by 80 to 20 votes, right? Like, it, it, it seems mm-hmm. obvious. But, you know, on the other hand, judging by the policies that the other party wants to put in place, like, they would like to cut health care, they would like to... Um, Get rid of harm, voting rights, women's rights, LGBT rights. Like they're talking about how they wanted to undo uh, marriage equality in the hearings today. It wouldn't it be wrong to like cede power to them? Just like they might think it's wrong to cede power to. Like, there's no incentive to work together on this, right? There's no incentive when the the stakes are so high.
1: Yeah, no, I would agree with that sentiment. That, but I and maybe I'm a little bit idealistic, but I I still remember a time when you know parties could, could get together on some things. Um, whether they're they're sometimes they get together and do do great things, and sometimes they get together and do really really bad things that have a lot of unintended consequences. We find out about you know down the road. Uh, you know I, I, I point to the uh, the mid '90s crime bill as a great example that everyone was on board with, and then had a lot of unintended consequences. Uh, down the road, um, yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. But I think with the way our, I mean, uh, it's easy to say, oh, we should take the high road. Obviously, we can't. We can't bring a knife to a gunfight. If they're if they're constantly doing this, we have to play the same game that they're playing. We have to be playing on the same field as them and by the same rules as them. And if they're going to do X, we have to do X too. Um, but at some point, we also have to start setting an example of the way we with our values of what we think it should be. I don't mind losing to somebody who is of another party, but because they're, you know, but they're similar in thinking just maybe different ways to get there. I'm opposed to having somebody be elected who is, does not understand the concept of government, does not believe in government, does not, or constitution that will, if they don't like their result, they're just going to do whatever they want to change it. Um, that is not that is something that needs to be protected, I you know, from we need to be protected from. I agree with that. Um, but ultimately we also have to we don't want to fall into the same trap. We don't want to turn out the way they have turned out in the last forty years, where it's just power at all costs.
0: Well, you talk about the way that they quote unquote they have turned out. We're in Montgomery County, which like we like to famously talk to say like in nineteen ninety was the only county that went Republican for the governor, great because we had a pro-choice woman running as a Republican, and then anti-choice Democrat Bob Casey Sr. And,
1: and, and Tony, that 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 1990 gubernatorial election is a prime example of how uh, how Pennsylvanians could come and go with with who they voted for. They may be registered in one party, but they they would go with another. Pennsylvania was a pretty Democratic state back then, but it went overwhelmingly for for. Uh, Uh, Ronald Reagan, both in 80 and 84, you know, the Reagan Democrats, Bob Casey started to bring them back, you know, some of those older, more conservative or more, you know, what we call moderate, but now pretty conservative voters back then. And he was able, in his reelection, he was running on a pro-life platform as a Democrat and the Republicans nominated a moderate pro-choice woman and 66 counties went Democratic, which I don't think that ever happened before or since. I don't think there's ever been that big of a landslide.
0: And there's no chance, county. There, but there's no chance, even in Montgomery County, given who has been nominated for certain things in our county, which is a very moderate county amongst Republicans, a lot of Republicans have generally been, and I've met a lot of Republican committee, former Republican committee people who switched their party because of Donald Trump. I'm mm-hmm. sure you have too. So they can't nominate someone for like, almost any serious office, maybe some on local level, but who would be willing to compromise and be that kind of Republican that we used to have in our County.
1: Right. And the, the, the ones that, that if they won, we wouldn't literally be wondering, am I going to still have my rights next week? I mean, yeah, it stinks. And they're going to, they're going to raise taxes on, on this person and, and not on this person. And they're going to give their corporate buddies a, a break and that's not good politics, but we'll get them next time. Not my, 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 my friends are under assault. My life, my, my way of life is under assault. Um, so, but, but, you know, the problem is as, as the, the the lines have hardened and the partisanship's gotten harder, it's almost impossible for someone not on the fringe of a, uh, of a party to get nominated, especially in the Republican party, because they've become so small, they've become such a small faction of which they once were, that a lot of The more moderate folks in their party have been driven out to either independents or even joining Democrats.
0: So uh, that brings me to the congressional districting, um, because the Republicans came up with a map there was like in the legislature, but they knew the governor was not like there was no incentive for the governor to sign any map that was basically partisan from their side. So it was like a fait accompli, right, to everybody. like They knew it was going to the Supreme Court, didn't they? And they, it's almost like we'll huff and puff, but we know that they're going to do their own thing. So we want to kind of give control to them so it gives cover to us for whatever the result is. Yeah,
1: I mean, I, I, I was not in the process of the redistricting. Why not?
0: <laughs> well, like you said,
1: I would I, we, we'd figure out a way to have 11 or 12 Democratic congressional members you know look there was no incentive i mean i think i think the republicans have been able to if if this was in the first term of, of tom wolf it would maybe be different maybe he'd be looking to try to cut a deal to show you know show how his moderate child, or his, his ability to work across the aisle to win a re-election um in a, in a close re-election maybe there would have been more compromise the fact that um he's basically he's a lame duck that he's in his final 12 months of office um, and you know he's not you know he's not necessarily ready to cut a deal with them to, to make give them anything well there's no point they've been they've been hounding him for seven years and and, and driving you know tr- going around him and passing constitutional amendments to try to you know limit his power what, you know he had no incentive to work with them certainly they knew you know maybe they could get a map that he would say yes to or, or, or couldn't say no to or if there was pressure from, Um, like 10, I mean, 10 years ago, it was a Republican map, but Democratic legislators in in Congress were calling up state legislators and saying, it's okay, you should approve that because it made their districts, it made them unbeatable, both, both from a primary and a general election. So, um, so there were Democrats who voted for that uh, 13, I think is when it finally passed. I think the first map did get, um, uh, kicked. No, it was... Yeah, it was 2012. I'm sorry, it was 2012. Right. So in the 2012 election, that they voted for it, and it was it was so it was a bipartisan vote. So when they got to the courts six years later, they said, "Come on, Democrats voted for this. This is this is fine." Um, and so yeah, there was no incentive in this case in that regards. The Republicans should have had incentive to cut a deal because they knew if it got to the courts, they were not going to get a very favorable map. Um, Although I think they, I mean, I think we could all agree it's not really favorable to either side. It's it's really just a map.
0: (laughs) But but for them, anything that's not favorable to them is unfavorable. Like right, of course,
1: right, right. No, anything that they didn't get to completely dictate from beginning to end. But knowing that the Supreme that the Supreme Court was going to probably do that to them, they probably should have been motivated to get something that at least on paper looked like it was fair and or even, but really kind of skewed towards them or was going to skew towards them down the road. Um, And, but they, they, I don't think in in this process with redistricting, they know any other way other than creating a map that just totally elevates them and totally screws us. And they didn't know how they were not prepared for that inevitability of having to actually try to do it in a way that it would get through. So,
0: well, I think, and I'm not going to call anyone out necessarily, but like if I was um, a Republican leader, Tom Kohler, haha, how about that, um, And I wouldn't I wouldn't want to be seen as the person who ceded the control to the other party, because then I might lose leadership, so I will huff and puff so I won't take any blame, even though, you're right, by not compromising, they're kind of to blame for losing out a bit on a map.
1: Well, and... and- but then again, it, then I feel like—I mean, and this is my personal opinion—you're not much of a leader if you're not willing to take some blame every now and then. And sometimes that's—that's that's what's required. Um, you know, I'm not saying you need to uh, usher in the other side and, and open the door for him, but it's sometimes you have to say, you know, what we, we were—we didn't want to leave it up to the court because we knew we'd get an even worse map. We wanted to get the best map we could, and this is what we did, and so be it. Uh, I mean, that's that would have been my approach, but that's why I'm not uh, the Republican or
0: Democrat. (laughs) So before we stop here, though, uh, speaking of the leaders in Harrisburg, there will be new leaders next year because of the elections and also because there are new legislative maps. But it's a whole different process this time. And it's the first time ever. So briefly explain what the process is this time.
1: Well, so so it's the same process that they've used in years past, but uh, there's one little caveat. So unlike the congressional maps, which are just a bill passed by the legislature and signed by the governor, or in this case, the last two dimes created by the courts, the the state house and state senate maps are are put together by a five-person legislative redistricting uh, committee or council. Um, It consists of four members of the legislature themselves. First of all, I'm not saying this is the best way to do it. I'm just saying this is the way they do it. but. The State House and State Senate Republican and Democratic leaders make up the four people. So you have two Democrats and two Republicans. Then the four of them get together and make a list of names of who should be the fifth person. And then they all agree on that. Well, I don't think it takes the rocket scientists to figure out that that does not happen very often, where the two Republicans and two Democrats are going to agree on the fifth person. The Democrats want a Democrat or somebody leaning Democrat, and the Republicans want a Republican or somebody leaning Republican so when they come to a stalemate inevitably they turn the list over to the state supreme court and the state supreme court goes through and picks the person says okay this is the fifth person in 2001 in 2011 the supreme court was controlled by the republican party so they got somebody who was republican or at least republican friendly and they were able to draw maps that were extremely extremely partisan the congressional maps were bad. The legislative maps had been much, much worse, especially in 2011. They just went went off the rails when it came to redistricting. There was a four year window in the t- from 06 to 10 where that Democrats actually took back the House on those Republican maps. So they went and doubled down and made it even made it impossible for Democrats to ever control the House. At one point, it was one. Uh, 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 I think what the number was it was uh, we were down to I think 89 Democrats out of 203 seats. I mean it was
0: bad. And you say that meaning that like if you counted all the democratic votes and all the republican votes in the state the democrats could win like 57% of the vote overall. Yep. And they could still get a minority of the seats because of how it the be, maps were it. would
1: be nowhere near a majority right. of the seats. I think the peak I think the peak number of seats we held in the last Districting was 95 seats and it's 102 is the majority. So I mean you're talking, you know, uh just not a, one one. I think right now we're at uh 110 to 93 is, is the current breakdown. So you're 17 seats in the hole um uh going in. But that that sounds terrible, but in 2018 they were up to almost hundred 120 seats almost. So um, you know, it it's it's hard and 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 the harder, you know, in Pennsylvania. Um, you know, an incumbent becomes entrenched, and, and they don't uh, they don't face a lot of opposition, and there's no way the party's going to win in some of these places. So they, they pretty much get settled in. Um, but anyway, this time around, thanks to the Supreme Court elections of 2015, where three Democrats were put on the court, and now it's a, Demo- it's a five to two Democratic court. So um, the fifth person was actually a fairly independent person, uh, a general professor from the University of Pittsburgh. Uh, uh, professor Nordenberg. And he was pretty determined to say, I'm not going to be one side or the other. And he was, I personally think very fair. It was a, it's a, a, to me, the state house map especially is a very fair map. Is it favoring Democrats compared to the other one? Yes. Just because they broke up a lot of the Republican partisan gerrymandering of the last 20 years. But it still doesn't create a clear path. It's not like, oh, Democrats are going to win 105 seats guaranteed. Right. They still have to win competitive seats uh, in order to take the majority. again. the state Senate, they decided to go with more of a, an incumbent protection model, it looks like, where they where – they um, incumbents who are already there, that they shored up some of those districts, uh, whether it's geography to help them or, or whatever. So those districts um, aren't as competitive across the state – but you're also talking 50 districts versus 203. So those districts are going to be bigger and ultimately they're going to end up geographically being in parts of the state where partisanship one way or the other is going to uh, hold true. Right. And I looked so, at
0: something called the like people projecting the partisan breakdown, I guess, of the presidential vote. And for the state Senate, it looked like 25, 25, potentially very split.
1: But, but but a lot of that is based on you know the presidential vote or the last gubernatorial vote. Some of those regions that still may have voted for, for Joe Biden, let's say, maybe in like Western PA where he did better than Hillary mm. Clinton did, obviously, those areas are trending redder and redder. So over the next 10 years, those voters may not be voting Democratic in state Senate races down the road. So, yes, they are based on the most recent, <coughs> event, the, part, you know, the partisanship is fairly broken down evenly but over time those might shift a little bit because of just the, the trending demographics. It's, you know, as rapidly as the suburbs are around, not Monco, we, we've been blue for, for about 10 years now, but um, you know, Bucks, Chester, Delaware kind of fell like dominoes in the last four or five years pretty fast. Well the same is holding true out in Westmoreland County and Fayette and Green and Washington County around, around Pittsburgh where they were ancestrally democratic for a hundred years and they have turned, just almost maroon in, in the shade of red that they've become. Uh, Westmoreland County was democratic for right. as many years as not as Montgomery was, was Republican. And now it's, it's the other way around. Um, so, but I, I, you know, but it's interesting with, with the state house and the Senate, but more the house where areas are decreasing population. They're moving those districts to parts of the state that are growing population. So Montgomery County, we actually got a new state house seat in, in the county seat in our town and Plymouth and Conshohocken. uh, borough there. Um, there's a new state house seat in Lancaster City. So instead of having one seat for there, there's two. So um, that actually is probably, like, based on the partisan breakdown, will likely be a, a Democratic seat. There's another seat in Philadelphia. I believe there's a new seat in Lehigh Valley. So um, seats move, move to the to where the areas are growing from the areas that are, that are losing population.
0: And, you know, the state senate, in my experience, tends to be maybe less hyper-partisan in the state house in a lot of ways but um you know and you're right the the it's interesting that the the areas that are growing are also trending more progressive more democratic um and what and all, kind of more moderate at the same time in a way um so because like we're, we're kind of rebelling against the far right you know republicans so our parts of the state like Bridgeport was 4500 people 10 years ago and now it's 5000 again and it will be 6000 by the end of this decade, which is amazing because it's only one square mile. Um, and yet, then the areas that are shrinking population are growing more Republican, right? Like in the state in Pennsylvania. So it's kind of like what comes first that people kind of are turned off by those politics and move, causing a shrink that causes them more Republican? Or so is it the shrinking population and the shrinking hope turning it more Republican? Or is it the Republicanness, the conservativeness causing it to shrink because it's pushing people away? Or both.
1: I think it's a little of everything because, because, because in all honesty, there are people who are registered Democrats still in these counties, but vote Republican, just like there's Republicans in, in Monco who vote Democratic now. They just don't bother change the registration mm-hmm. um, or, or they like keep the registration to try to, to vote in their part in their party's primary to vote for the candidate that's less uh, extreme or or and then when when that's you know, that's the case, it doesn't work out or whatever, then they they go to the go to the other side. Um, so I think that's that's a big part of it. I think part of it is population loss and, and aging population. Uh, you know, you're not going to, you know, with 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 a few exceptions, you're not seeing a lot of eighty year old hippies walking around. Um, you see some, but not 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 a ton. Um, and, and I think that that's that that is the, the the demographics of age, demographics of of culture. What what issues tend to matter to you more when you're seventy versus when you're forty or when you're when you're twenty. Um, you know, when you're 20, it's student loans. When it's 40, it's your kid's education, your property tax or your, uh, property values and your job and, and making sure you have a good job. And then you're 70, it's your property taxes are too high. Your income, your social security is too low. You're, uh, you're, you're not seeing all the years that you've worked and you're not seeing the end result that you were promised or believe was going to be there. And then people tend to get mad about things, even if it's not the government's fault or it's not you know their their neighbors fault they just tend to want to be mad at somebody else for something and they and I'll be honest the uh, the, the 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 far right has done a great job building up a 40-year propaganda machine blaming everybody else for That's everything there's a
0: lot of hate and i hate to break it to you but the hippies of the 60s are now in their 80s but, but <laughs> I, I, I know that but yet i you don't they're,
1: they've either mellowed out? They're in their older age. I mean, don't get me wrong. You know, Tony, we live right near uh, a very liberal uh, area, and and we still, you know, Chestnut Hill and Lower Marion and, and Abington, Chile. There are a lot of uh, older hippies, certainly. Uh, but I
0: think it's interesting with, with like the birds of a feather flock together precinct, as we know, like kind of thing. And I would expect. That you talk about Lower Marion or Upper Marion, even these areas are trending Democratic. That you would probably find that the older people in this area are more liberal than the middle our age people in Western PA a lot of the time.
1: Yeah, oh, I, that, that is true. And again, I think that I mean Pennsylvania is a very large state, you know, in terms of square miles, in terms of population. It's a very you know Philadelphia and Pittsburgh are two cities in the same state. But there are two cities in a different world. Pittsburgh and, and Western PA tend to kind of be more in the Ohio Midwestern kind of,
0: you know. Right. One of those cities has a hockey team and one of the cities has the Flyers.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: and,
1: and one of those cities has a baseball team. And it's
0: one true. Of those Pirates, <laughs> so,
1: and you don't have an NBA team. For, for everyone listening, of course, you all know Tony's originally from Pittsburgh. So, right. But, but – but to that end, I mean, and I have no argument to come back to the Flyers, we're, we're just awful.
0: And I love the Phillies, so I'm not going <laughs> to <laughs> <laughs> But...
1: But, you know, but I mean, it, 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 it often has been a tale of two states in terms of east and west. There's a lot of, you know, there's that old James Carville adage, P- Pittsburgh, Philly, and Alabama in the middle. I don't really buy that as much anymore, but it is definitely east versus west. And it's
0: definitely changing because you got that growing central Pennsylvania. Scranton, Absolutely. The, the northeast PA with Monroe County was growing for a long time, like now. And it's changing a lot from what it used to be with, like, people from New York State.
1: Right. You you have people in New York you know from New York moving over. It's only an hour and change away from New York. People drive an hour and a half to work in, in the Philly area. Why wouldn't you live in the Poconos and drive to New York every day? And now with people working from home, it's even more right. um and so that area is gonna be is, is, is you know, the Pocono like uh, resort area around the lakes of that's become a little more bluer, but right around Scranton, which has always been bluer, that's starting you know, Luzerne County, Wilkes Bear is you know, it's like the it's like the gold star for Republican advantages right now. Well, we'll uh, see. Well, it, it, I mean, it certainly has been, but but I mean, again, it's 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 but Southeast PA is growing, which is where which is most Democratic. So the overall numbers of to State, I think Pennsylvania Democrats the last last count still have a six hundred thousand plus voting registration advantage over Republicans. But again, I think that's a lot of people who still have not you know who are Democrats for for decades. Most of the Republicans have fled. It. I think you might start to see that margin come down a little bit, unless we're starting to get aggressive in, in, in uh, voter registration.
0: Well, we're going to get aggressive in trying to get people out to vote. That's our job. We're going to do that this year. And also, the first thing people do to get out the vote is make sure they're running for office. I know you're encouraging people that on our committee. Um, we had a good talk about redistricting today. Is there any message you want to tell people? Because I could talk about redistricting for another hour. But- sure.
1: But we don't. I'm sure people uh, don't want to necessarily hear that. But I, I, I will say there are a lot of great resources online about redistricting, not just Pennsylvania, but all over the country. Um, if you're a map nerd like me, davesredistricting.org org is a phenomenal tool. You can hmm. log in, set up an account, and you can actually play map maker. You can pull up a map of a state, pick how many districts you want to cut it into, and you can click on every little precinct and every little county in the state and match it up to different colors and see what the demographics are, what the partisan leans are. You can see the maps that were chosen this cycle, the ones that weren't chosen. Um, if you're really into that kind of stuff, and into the social sciences of, of districts and, and all that redistricting, it's a great resource, daysredistricting.org. Uh, it's a great site to, to play around with and also to see all the different maps and how they how they ended up getting to where they did.
0: But one thing, I just to mind, I don't want to forget, if you were one, if someone wants to run for office, they don't start usually in well, March thinking about it, right? So having well, I mean, these for, maps for next
1: year, for next year, yeah, it would be great. This would be a great time for if you want to run for office
0: in twenty twenty. But right? I mean, for twenty twenty two, like a lot of people, because the maps are up in the air, not just here but in other states too, for their state legislative or Congress, it it really holds good candidates back to have that uncertainty where you know if you were Tom Kohler or thinking about running for state legislature. Yeah. You wouldn't even know what to do up until like doesn't that hold people back in terms of the time it takes to get on the get your momentum going
1: if, if, you're, if you're gonna if you're gonna run for office uh, at that level mm-hmm. um,
0: for state you legislature
1: you, yeah for state legislature or, or Congress you should be having a, a, a system in place uh, a, 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 an operation a machine in place in the background so that when that map comes down you're ready to implement wherever you may fall. And if you fall in a spot where you decide to change your mind, you can easily change your mind at that point. But, you know, raising the money and, and not, there's, introducing yourself to committee people, introducing yourself to party officials, all of those things, um, you, you build up to that. You, you can't wait for the maps. Case in point, like I mentioned, there's a new new state house district right across the river from you in Norristown. It, you, couldn't, you couldn't wait till last Friday to decide you wanted to run. You had to be prepared for that, even though you didn't know that district was going to exist yeah. until last, last week. You had to be setting up and, and and telling people you're going to run if this this comes through because the process it was over a year process of making the maps. So the first maps were released back in December of 2021. With uh, and it looked like there was going to be a new district. So by then we had an idea that was going to be the case. So if that was the, so, that's by then certainly you should be like, okay, it looks like we might be getting a new district. I need to get in the game if I'm going to do that.
0: Yeah. So, well, everyone needs to get in the game. That's what Josh Shapiro says. He's up there. He should do this podcast, by the way.
1: <laughs> I, I I would love to hear Josh do the "You Should Run" podcast because uh, Josh is the epitome of somebody who should who's running and is making a difference. Yeah. And he's right. We we do need to get off and get in the game and, and off the sideline and get in the game. And that's what we. Uh, um, I hope everybody listening takes heed to that. It doesn't have to be Congress. It doesn't have to be president. There are many offices in your local town. Uh, Boards you can serve on, uh, get involved and, and, and get to know your electeds and, uh, and keep them honest.
0: Well, yep. And and I appreciate you, all the work you do to get people to run for office. It's a lot of important work. And so if you're listening, check out Tom, look for him on Twitter, get in touch because he can give you some good tips and a message me as well at Tony Heil. Um, Tom, what's your Twitter handle again? I know you have Uh, thousands of followers if people know it. Oh, well,
1: several hundred followers at Tom Kohler UM, the UM standing for Upper Marion, which is where I'm the current chair. I'm also on the state democratic committee. I'm running for a third term. So if you live in Montgomery County and you are a registered Democrat, I would look forward to you voting for me. Hopefully I was just endorsed uh, Sunday night and I'm looking forward to another term on uh, our state committee as well.
0: Great. I appreciate it. And if you're listening, I think that uh, you have a lot of good reasons here Well, maybe you should run for office too. Talk to you next week.